Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Does God ever seem distant to you? Well, no matter how you feel, God is real. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation, times when it feels as if he has abandoned or forgotten you. But God doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. This is a normal part of the testing and maturing of your friendship with God. Job said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going. And when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. Now tell me, how do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? Well, you do what Job did. You tell God exactly how you feel. I can't be quiet, said Job. I am hungry and bitter. I have to speak. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I'm wiped out. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. He is good and loving. He is all-powerful. He notices every detail of my life. He is in control. He will save me. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. Trust God to keep his promises and remember what God has already done for you. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair shows you how to trust in God with a reminder to remember his promise to you, I will never leave you. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you? Does that mean that I'm cornered? <laughs> Hardly. You say that every week that it's the Archbishop's Corner. Well, you know where this came from. The whole title of it came from Bishop's Corner in West Hartford. So it's not well, Bishop's... shopping mall. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- this happened long, long time You're ago. you pre- this program after a shopping mall? It precedes me, even, oh, because okay. Archbishop Whalen used to do the program. Instead of calling it the Bishop's Corner, it was called the Archbishop's Corner. And then Bishop Rosaza started doing the program. Then we named it the Bishop's Corner. And now we have another archbishop that is so inclined to do this radio program. So it's back to the Archbishop's Corner. Well, see, you learn something every day. Isn't it amazing? Talk about learning something. Can I ask you for an update on the synod process? What's happening there? Yes, uh, my only hesitation is I have to remember where I left off the last time you asked me. I don't want to repeat well, this unnecessarily. I, I think we had listening sessions. You know, and, oh, yes. And everybody... Oh, well, there's a lot that's happened since then. Well, that's we, what you have to uh, fill us in on. Oh, okay. Well, we've, we have identified delegates to the synod from each parish who are nominated by their pastors. And I must say that the people who accepted uh, had to accept with certain demanding conditions, uh, that is to attend the meetings, to participate in the preparatory things, to read the adult catechism of the Catholic Church, to make a profession of Catholic faith using the usual form that we use for people who are assuming an office in the church or a special responsibility. And uh, so we also recently, when we looked at all the membership, we felt we needed more youth. So we made a special effort uh, to uh, identify uh, some young people Mm -hmm. uh, who have added as delegates to the Synod. 
So we're talking about a couple hundred people. And of course, some are priests, some are religious, but uh, the representatives of parishes uh, are laity, uh, two from each parish. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's moving along. And then we had a first session for all the delegates in which we had two speakers, one of whom uh, is a historian who kind of laid out for the delegates the history of uh, the church in Connecticut, of archdiocese, and of the past synods. And then Father Bogoslawski, our moderator of the Curia, gave, I think, a pretty rousing talk about where we're at with regard to the challenges we face today and how on the heels of pastoral planning, ongoing pastoral planning, we need to move forward as a church. And then most recently, we had a speaker come in, a young man who's involved in evangelization with his family, really great young layman, who gave a splendid uh, talk. This young man, whose name is Peter Burak, from Michigan. He's worked in uh, the Ann Arbor area, which has been a real center for uh, Catholic evangelization and such. He gave a splendid talk uh, uh, that's available on our Archdiocesan website. I would recommend our listeners check that out and and listen to it. It was a really very inspiring, uh, motivating talk about uh, the need we have as Catholics to get out there and to practice our faith, to witness it. And he gave a beautiful testimony, you know, about the kind of effects this can have in our life. So that was the most recent thing, uh, Peter Burek's uh, Burek's talk. Uh, He's going to actually speak to the Synod when it meets uh, uh, again. And we have identified speakers uh, for uh, the various topics that we want to cover from outside the Archdiocese. And we also are in the process of creating discussion papers for the Synod delegates. By the end of this month, they will have this, as well as the speakers who are coming in, will have the benefit of these these papers. They're not long. They're only a couple pages, but they set out the various themes of the Synod, uh, you know, about uh, evangelization and about the life of the church, uh, so that uh, when we finally meet as a Synod, it won't just be you know, everybody just saying what's on their mind, but it will be very focused, and it will be a, it will be a, a, what I believe will be a way forward. So it um, sounds like, Archbishop, that this whole process that you've been describing is a way to bring the synod delegates up to speed and educate them in terms of being able then to make decisions and deliberate on, on going forward with the, the church and the archdiocese. Yes, these are formational experiences, you know, that that— we're not just there. I already had the listening sessions where people said everything from they like their mass schedule or they don't or they like this or that. But that's not what a synod is about. A synod is about charting a way forward and 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 uh, affirmations and direction for the church on the basis of church uh, of our beliefs on the challenges of today, on the kind of dynamic things that are going on in the church to, to, uh, that people are doing to help. Uh, reinvigorate the faith and to to draw a younger generation, uh, to enhance the life of our parishes and the liturgies. Uh, these are the kind of things that that uh, they will will talk about. And quite honestly, I think, my, personally, I think one of the main benefits of the synod is that when the synod delegates go back to their parishes, that they will be a catalyst in their local communities about all of these things that they've witnessed and discussed and, and talked about. So it's not just it's meant to end in a dry document, you know, that I issue a document, uh, although there will be something, you know, at the end. But it is the process and it is the dynamism and the reinvigoration of the faith that we're looking for. When do you see the Synod wrapping up the conclusion of this process? 
Well, the Synod is meeting at the end of October. That's when the Synod actually meets. But the conclusion of it is not till Pentecost of the following year. And so this is a process that involves uh, an unfolding, you know, and, and a kind of taking the, the fruits of it and, and putting it in a form that it can be uh, promulgated for the diocese. So we, that, that part is still in process. Someone suggested to me that the Synod was being conducted in the Archdiocese of Hartford as part of the pastoral planning process, and she wanted to know if that meant that there are more church or school closings being considered. Well, that is not part of the Synod's uh, conversation. Well, perhaps that question will come up uh, in some form, you know, but I, I think if it comes up, it's going to be in the form of how does this fit within uh, creating a more dynamic uh, and uh, a faith that is uh, more uh, attuned to to, move, to moving forward today. But that's not the main role of the Synod. But I will tell you this, that even a, quite apart from the Synod, you know, pastoral planning does continue. And now that we've had some time to look at what has happened since the major changes of a few years ago, yeah, we do have to always be looking at, at where we're at, where we're headed. Uh, you know, sometimes the situation has arisen where uh, the original pastoral plan uh, led to uh, parishes being joined. So now you have a parish that has more than one church or several buildings, and, and the p- pastor's challenged and the people are challenged to come together as one. Well, now we have to look at that and see how has that gone. And mm-hmm. I know many places where it's gone very well. I know other places where it's been a bit rocky. And so, yeah, pastoral planning continues in as much as we have to look at this. We also have tried to help parishes. The Archdiocese has tried to help parishes locally uh, to, to figure out what to do with these buildings if they have a lot of buildings now. But that's something, too, that sometimes a parish might have to be encouraged. You know, you really have to make some decisions here, and we're here to help you. So those are the kind of things that, that will continue. Let's look at some of the celebrations that are going on throughout this upcoming week. For instance, today is Tell the Truth Day, and every American is challenged to go one whole day without telling a lie or saying anything misleading or dishonest. We Father, lie. aren't they supposed to do that every day? Ah, well, that's my question to you. Have we diverged that far from telling the truth that we need a Tell the Truth Day? Well, I suppose it never hurts to be reminded of our moral responsibilities, but truthfulness is very important. And of course, today it's getting a little more challenging because we know people talk about the ability of communications to edit things or to create things on the web that make people say things they didn't really say. Or And, you know, then we get all this phenomenon of accusations of fake news, etc., So in the public sphere, this is becoming a challenge. But in the private sphere, too, we always have to tell the truth. Tomorrow, July 8th, is International Town Criers Day, celebrating the historic role of town criers. Now, in olden times, when few people were literate, there was little access to printed media. Town criers were responsible for keeping the populace up to date with the latest news and events and for spreading the news to the wider populace. As they say, we've come a long way since then. Global communication is instant and in the hands of most people. What makes the news around the world is immediately known a world away. The days of the town crier might have been considered primitive, Archbishop. But my question to you, were there not advantages in those days? Your thoughts? Well, advantages uh, certainly 
in those days, it just goes to show that people could organize themselves and needed to organize themselves to be in communication with one another for the common good and for the good of individuals as well. So, uh, yeah, that was a good thing. But of course, it pales by comparison today. And just like anything, any instrument of communication can be used for good or evil, for truth or lies. So we always have to be careful uh, about that and be vigilant uh, about that, especially with the mass of things that we now have at our disposal. It's always a, a yearning to to be in touch with other people, to know what's really going on so that we can protect ourselves from evil and we can do what is good. Thursday is National Cheer Up the Lonely Day. It's a day to make someone happy that needs it most. If you know someone who's lonely or going through a difficult time due to a health issue or financial reasons or personal reasons, whatever, Thursday is the day to reach out to them and try to cheer them up. It seems to me that loneliness, especially among the elderly, Archbishop, is felt in epidemic proportions these days. What are your thoughts as we look to Thursday as National Cheer Up the Lonely Day? Well, I just think that, you know, we're all busy, but we, you know, we need as part of our faith to engage in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And, uh, you know, visiting the sick is a, or those in prison is a, is a work of mercy traditionally. But in our day, when people live much longer than they used to, apart from their immediate family, and they are alone, one can easily see that that work of mercy also extends to those who are homebound uh, and don't otherwise have much company. So yes, that's a great act of mercy, you know. Let's take a look now at the road to happiness, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said, Archbishop. Now, this is taken from Pope Francis's address delivered on July 5th of 2014, and is called, Still Water Goes Bad. The Pope says, We all know that when water doesn't flow, it goes bad. There is a saying in Spanish, Still water is the first to corrupt. Don't stay still. We need to walk, take a step every day with the help of the Lord. God is our Father. He is mercy. He always loves us. God is a good memory. He does not forget. God does not forget about us. He always remembers. There is a passage in the Bible by the prophet Isaiah that says, Even if a mother were to forget her child, and that's impossible, I will never forget you. And this is true. God thinks of me. He remembers me. I am in God's mercy. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, that is a very uh, homey but very true thing that uh, still water is the first to corrupt in the sense now we know in nature that even swamps and still water is teeming with, uh, with life and it has its own ecosystem. But certainly when it comes to uh, the water that refreshes and that, that quenches our thirst, we know that uh, still water uh, can become stagnant and unhealthy. And so uh, the Pope's homey message is that we have to keep moving on our pilgrimage of life. We have to be flowing, as it were, uh, through the byways of life. And uh, in that way, we are refreshed and uh, we we also refresh others. So I think that's a, a very good and timely message for all of us. He brings out that quote from Isaiah, even if a mother were to forget her child, and that's impossible, the Pope says, I will never forget you. It's about God caring for us 
and not forgetting about us. I think that sometimes in our lives, especially the painful moments in our lives, the challenging moments in our lives, we look up and say, God, have you forgotten about me? But the Pope is reminding us that God doesn't forget about us, huh? No, he knows us through and through. Jesus said even the hairs on your head are, are, are numbered, you know, that that God knows everything about us. And it's true that sometimes uh, God doesn't seem to be near us when we are in difficulty, doubt, or sorrow, or suffering. But he is, and uh, we have to have put all of our faith in him no matter what. Well, before we get to some of the questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, let's look at our gospel today. Uh, this gospel on the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the seventh day of July, today's reading is from Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter. And after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, ask for your thoughts on what this gospel means. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The 70 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Archbishop, your thoughts on the profound meaning of our gospel passage today? Well, there's an awful lot to talk about in this gospel from Luke you know, Jesus came with a message and a mission. And the mission was uh, to die on the cross for our sins. Uh, but he also, in keeping with knowing that this was would be go on till the end of time, also to proclaim the message, the gospel, the good news of uh, faith and repentance, to repent and believe. And to the, what we believe is that in Christ himself, so he sent out these disciples uh, and in pairs. And there's a message in that for us too. You know, I, I've said this too uh, in ordination homilies to the priesthood that, uh, quoting Pope Gregory the Great, that Jesus sent out uh, his disciples 
uh, in pairs. And Gregory the Great said that that's because if you cannot show charity uh, toward another in your living and working, then you really can't give that message to other people. And how important, I said, it is to our priests to realize that they are not lone rangers. Mm -hmm. And sadly, because we have a shortage of priests, many of them live alone. You know, rectories used to be uh, have uh, two or three or even more priests living together. There was a sense of community and shared mission. Today, most priests are all alone, and, and this is very sad. I, I've told our young priests and all of our priests that I would encourage them, not only in priestly fraternities, of which there are a number, but also to, to, to come together as priests, and I would even welcome rectory living together as priests where it's feasible that priests not be all by themselves. So this is something that really comes from Jesus himself, this companionship, this sense of doing things together, uh, discipleship in common. And then, of course, the next thing, and again, this gospel is just full of uh, very deep things. Jesus says, the harvest is abundant, but the labors are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out labors for his harvest. There, too, you know, we talk about the tremendous uh, uh, shortage of ordinations to the priesthood today. Uh, and there, too, Jesus, even in his own time, in his own ministry, had to say that the labors were few. And you have to ask the Heavenly Father for more. And how much, how urgent that is for us today, to, that we, we need to, to implore God to send us uh, labors, uh, vocations to the priesthood and religious life. And then, you know, he sends them off, carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals. It's a very um, urgent mission that they're on. And I think after 2,000 years, you know, we can become very complacent about uh, Christianity and the church. It's a big institution. It just kind of sits there. But the gospel is always very urgent. And Jesus says, if a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And then he says, move on. You know, you, you, where you're welcome, stay for a while and do fulfill the ministry. But then it's time when that is done, you, you, you go forward. And uh, I think that, too, is the kind of urgency that we have, to, we have to have. And Jesus gives the assurance that nothing evil will befall them uh, if they're tr truly doing his work, even though by the standards of this world, many, they may have many hardships. But in the end, the gospel uh, will, will be spread. And, and, and then at the end, the simple thing that do not rejoice because spirits are subject to you, but be, rejoice because your names are written in heaven that this brings an eternal reward. Does the church presume, Archbishop, that all 72 that were sent out were men? Or is there indication, some scripture, scriptural evidence, for instance, they were all men and no women were among them, among these 72? That's a good question. But I, I think in that context, I think probably we could say they were men uh, in the, the setting of that time but I don't know that for sure. I, I, perhaps there's been some biblical scholarship about, you'd have to ask Bishop Betancourt. He's a scriptural scholar. He would know. That might but be a good I can't, question for him. I yeah. can't say that I know that. Well, Jesus says the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. And we've been asking, we've been praying, and the decrease in priestly vocations is taking its toll on the church today. So what are we to do? I would submit to you that the proportion of priests to the proportion of Catholics who actually are practicing their faith is proportionate. It's not like... So both have we, decreased proportionately. Both have decreased proportionately. 
the, the trouble is the dispersion of our priests over the old um, grid, if you will, of parishes and institutions and everything else uh, is not sustainable because, but, but, well, you know, I don't want to re- rehearse the whole thing again about pastoral planning, but it's not just a, a shortage of priests. It's a shortage of people in, in practicing their faith in church on Sunday, attending Mass and participating in the life of the church. And uh, that's not to say, though, for a moment that we don't have a shortage of priests. And uh, we, d- we do have to pray. Uh, and not only pray, but we have to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just can't believe it that so many Catholic people never encourage a young a uh, man to consider the priesthood. Some do very, very uh, faithfully, but there are many who don't, and even discourage it. And that really is the saddest thing of all. So we all have to do our part in encouraging vocations to the priesthood, and not just pray as if God is going to do it all, but He's expecting us to do our part as well. Absolutely, or not just to think that we are, you know, in the in a culture of entitlement that we are entitled to have a priest on Sunday. We don't do lift a finger to pray or work or encourage our own sons and relatives to be priests, but then we just expect a priest to show up that somebody else has got to provide. And, of course, that doesn't work. As you say, this scripture is filled with all kinds of themes. Let me just quickly ask you about one other, and that's the quote that he says, I have given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Meaning... Well, I think you have a perfect example in the life of St. Paul. You know, what does he tell us all of his woes? How he was stoned and, 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 and whipped and shipwrecked and all of the... And he was dragged, put in jail and dragged before governors. I, I mean, but in all of that, Paul managed to fulfill his mission. You know, it's really remarkable. And there are many things like that in the history of the, of the church. I mean, all, not all of us are being called upon to do something as heroic as St. Paul, but we all have our, our uh, moments. Let's look at some of the questions submitted by our audience. For instance, Aaron from New Haven says, angels are involved in the lives of God's people, but we are not supposed to pray to them. Why is this? What is it that angels do? Well, we can pray to angels. We are, the church has the teaching of, the, of our having a guardian angel uh, you know, Christ says that in the gospel that uh, these little ones uh, have an angel uh, to watch over them. Uh, so yes, but we pray to them as intercessors for us. We don't, we don't honor, we don't venerate angels as we would venerate God. Only God is worshipped, and angels we venerate and saints. But we certainly, I say the prayer every day to Saint Michael the Archangel. I've asked, mm-hmm. well, I'm not just asked. I've directed that every parish in the archdiocese offer the prayer to St. Michael at the end of, of Mass. Also, I say the prayer to the guardian angel every day. Charles from Torrington says, What does it mean to be open to the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, to be led by the Holy Spirit means that we seek to do God's holy will. And how does God reveal his holy will? He reveals it through all the things that happen to us, all the events, everything that we embrace with faith, hope, and love. Uh, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit to inspire us and give us the strength and courage we need uh, to do this. So that's being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus, with the Spirit of Christ. That is to say, where our mind and heart and actions, our will, you know, all that we are and have 
is all directed toward the glory of God and uh, love of neighbor and our eternal good. And, you know, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we've opened ourselves up uh, to let God be at work in us uh, through the Spirit that has been given to us, the Holy Spirit. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you conclude the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, by our baptism, whether we are laity or religious or priests, you have called all of us to go out as the first disciples did into the world in order to bear witness to you, to bring the good news of the gospel to a hurting world. We ask you to give us the grace not to be afraid to do this, to do it joyfully, enthusiastically, to do it patiently and zealously, each in our own way, so that we may bring you and the gospel into our country, our community, our families, and our homes. And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week at 7 o'clock with a repeat at 11.30. Until then, we wish you well during this week. Thank you.